have 60 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute 48. Part man, part machine, all part. This minute begins with Morton storming out of the room and ends with Emil saying, Don't do nothing stupid, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I think we were talking about this last minute, but yeah, I still love this bit between, uh, especially this moment between uh, Reed and uh, Lewis. Lewis is just yeah. so good. Yeah, I was going to say that it's one of those things that I think I overlooked as a kid. You know, when you're watching a movie as a kid, you just want to see all the cool bits. You're just waiting for Robocop to show up. But now mm. that I am an old, um, <laughs> when I watch a movie, it's actually these little moments that really hold my attention or, or capture my imagination of just the human mm. connection between the characters. Also, Robocop's mm. very cool, and we will get some very cool Robocop scenes coming up. But yeah, it really... And this is something I did not understand as a kid. It's just you can't have all the explosions and the robots and all of that because it just becomes this meaningless well it becomes a michael bay yeah hurricane of noise and explosions (laughs) was it um what's the phrase uh all thunder lightning and i can't remember either way Mm. no no yeah bay was the name i was immediately gonna say is um... all sunshine makes a desert or so the arabs say that's uh from black hole that's a good one yeah yeah so no, so um, it's funny because um, if you look at like standard say dramatic progression in regards to say like tension and re- release and and rising stakes and stuff like that, it's not a a simple gradient. It's it is peaks and troughs. You're building up, you slow down. You build up, you slow down. You build up, you slow down. And as you still keep the tension rising. But you need to give those or the audience those moments to breathe out. Mm. And if you're just constantly going or droning on or, you know, there's no relief or the tension, yeah, you get audience burnout and stuff like that. So it sounds great in theory, yeah, 90 minutes of tits and explosions. But yeah. after, like, maybe 10, 20 minutes of tits and explosions, you're just there going, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done. Yeah, okay, what's, what's the point? Where are we on? What is it? <laughs> yeah. Or you just, you basically sit through a 90-minute movie and you're just there going, I couldn't possibly tell you what fucking happened because you just get sensory overload and I think that's the Michael Bay problem. Um, Lindsay Ars has a great video on that particular one. I think it's in the... Um, the whole plate series? The whole plate series, yeah. Yeah, oh, I missed that. So good. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> That's the funny thing, yeah, yeah. I, I've even appreciated these moments a lot more now, especially going through minute by minute. It's like, I like, I like these scenes and that, but yeah, just hyper-focusing on this stuff is just really sweet. And, uh, oh, and also subtext. I, I think that's the other thing that's so crucial. <laughs> and what, you know, if people don't write stories, I've actually been editing stories written by friends who don't have experience writing, and it's really interesting where they're coming from and, and the mistakes they make because they've never had to write a story before. But yeah, mm. if your story isn't about anything other than the surface level, yeah, Robocop, if Robocop was literally just about a robot cop, none of mm. the allegorical stuff, the Jesus allegory, none of the corporate capitalist commentary, mm. we would have forgotten about it. We would not still be talking about it. Ironically, we kind of already had that, but we're not getting into gaslighting just that. Mm, 
but it is it is interesting as you say yeah like we absorb so much but it's hard sometimes to get that stuff out like you know that's uh there's a thing i hear a lot in writing is the best writers read so they're yes. always reading they're always absorbing new things same like filmmakers a lot of film nerds become filmmakers because they tend to see a lot of movies and they absorb a lot of movies and then they want to make those movies you know like tarantino is like an infamous film geek yeah i can't wait to have a proper camera because i feel like i i I mean i'm always taking photos with my phone Mm. and i feel like i have a particular eye but Mm. uh yeah i I do not have the technology to catch up with me some of that is training some of that is you know knowing what to do with the camera so yeah it's one thing to go i'm gonna grab a camera and shoot shoot citizen kane but well, no, that's... I don't know, sometimes you, you'll you get some classic disaster pieces from yeah. that type of stuff. Well, yeah, I guess it's a good point that it's not the tech... I mean, technology obviously makes it better, but, you know, hmm. Scorsese would still be Scorsese even if he was filming on an iPhone. And hmm. I think that actually... Well, not Scorsese, but um, some really big director did do an entire film shot on iPhone. And oh, I've heard of this. Um, it's a little. It looks a little flat. It's not as wide hmm. and immersive as as yeah. you know a million or billion dollar freaking camera. You've only got a four, you've only got a twenty five sorry twenty four millimeter camera wide lens. You can't yeah. really. It's gonna yeah. It's gonna have it's gonna have lens distortion. I mean, it looks comparable <laughs> to say a BBC production today. Hmm. Yeah, but still one of those things where like I'll take from a photographer's point of view. You can have the best technology in the world, but you still got to be the person behind the camera pointing and clicking. You know, there are technical things like, is it sharp, is it in focus, and you've got focal ranges and stuff like that, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, you still need to point that thing to thing and press click. Mm. You know, being the most technically proficient cameraman in the entire world is not going to matter a damn if you're not taking a photo. Yeah. You use what you can, but... So, we got the um, reintroduction... Reintroduction. 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 That's the word. That is out. Yeah, it is. (laughs) We have the reintroduction of Emil back into the film. Wait, is that when you reintroduce reintroduce a douchebag? It is now. Yes. So we got the reintroduction of Emil. Who is into douchebag? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We we reintroducing the douchebag (laughs) Emil, and the thing that. It never really occurred to me until, like, just re-watching this, is the Shell logo. And then they're going... Because you go, it's a petrol station called Shell. Mm. And the farmers are going, hang on. Uh, there's something missing. The Shell logo. Oh. And I realise, oh, it's Shell Motor Company. Hmm. And that's a very specific wording, because I looked into this. I couldn't find anything on Shell Motor Company, because the Shell we know and begrudgingly love, because for lack of a better term, is the Shell Oil Company. The Shell we know and know. <laughs> yeah, the Shell and the petrochemical that's going to destroy the world we know and love uh, is the Shell Oil Company. They've always been known as the Shell Oil Company. But going back through the book and the script, it's, it just says Shell. Even the uh, the script actually says... I'll just try. But it is a real motor company. Well... I can't find a Shell Motor Company, huh. but even the um, the script says, lit by a huge electric sign that spells out Shell. I think the book actually says the logo, as in it's you, know, you see the logo. 
Mm. So it's interesting. So they've obviously went, oh, yeah, we're going to have Shell. Yeah. Well, we're probably going to be blowing up this server. Spoilers. Hmm. Well, maybe they will reach out to them. And I've not, I've again, I've done some, I tried to do as much as I can, but there's just nothing out there beyond the location. Uh, is, so this area has been demolished in the evening. So hmm. RSVP Shell. Uh, Shell Motor Company, but it it clearly isn't the same company. But yeah, they they it's not the same logo, and I think they legally can get away with it because it's not presenting itself as that company. Right. So if a weird Shell uh, petrol station is haunted, is that a ghost <laughs> in the shell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Robocop is being played by Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> You know what? I would I be for it. it. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would that would be Scarlett Johansson as Lewis. I mean, she already has the Robocop walk down perfectly in Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> Don't know why they gave her that, those instructions, or maybe that was her own decision. She's like, "This is a robot woman. Oh, well, here's my chance to break out my inner Robocop." Oh yeah, uh, that's canon now. Yeah, we, we've established that. So what we're saying is, Ghost in the Shell is a better remake of RoboCop than RoboFlag. Yeah. Wow. Actually, yeah. Yeah, it is. Huh? Isn't that funny? You suddenly put it in that context, and you go, "Wait, you've made this movie. You haven't changed anything about the movie, but you've immediately made it a million times better." Oh, they cast a woman. They've set it in Japan. The production value, the visuals are way better. Oh man, what a great RoboCop remake. <laughs> I wonder how many movies we could... Not necessarily to Robocop, but I wonder how many <laughs> movies you could apply that to different movies. Like, wow, that movie was shit movie of fantastic James Bond for... <laughs> Ruby thrown out of my head. Oh yeah, I would. Lo- I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep that in mind, and I, whenever <laughs> I think of one, I will let you know that. Oh, this was a, a shit movie. What a fantastic remake of whatever. <laughs> well, I guess you can apply that to anything with a monomyth hero's journey. You can just go. Oh yeah, that was a and robots. Yeah, oh, yeah. But like, oh yeah, the um. Oh, what you call it? Uh, Star Wars, yeah, it was a great remake of Lord of the Rings. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, well, one funny thing. Uh, so when Morton's actually walking out of the room, he's got dialogue, but you can barely hear it. It's actually in the script. It says, uh, keep him on the streets. We maintain the schedule. We can't afford any downtime right now. Mm. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's get back to Just let him walk. His... Just let him walk. You'll get it out of his system. Just let him fight some crimes. <laughs> He'll come back for a nap. So one of my notes on this location is... Uh, is that a strip club on the opposite side of the, the shell? Probably. Because there's a shot of... There's a shot of uh, Emil from inside the the actual uh, service station. You can just see these, like, silhouettes of these... Look to be women in with blue lighting around them. One of them's bent over in a very provocative position. And yep. uh, there's some... There's an archway with some lights on it, but there's no signage. Hmm. So, so it could That's... be Northbridge Strip Club. Yep. Uh, I did attend one of those for the first time recently. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've been to a strip club. But I got a kiss on the cheek from a stripper. Uh, she's clearly oh. into me. Yep. <laughs> so how much did you pay for that? <laughs> um, 
I, you much. know what? I managed to go through there without even spending more than 30 bucks, so I'm pretty happy. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. It's. I'm going to say, probably inflation, probably 30 bucks probably doesn't get you as much as it did when I went to strip clubs. Nah. <laughs> that's just the uh, minimum. Anyway, never before. The, the fun of Minute by Minute, I've never before looked at the background of this and went, oh, that looks like a strip club. But obviously, those either the signs were put there by the production crew, or that was just the location. Mm. No idea, because I looked on Google Maps, and I'm not sure if the building still the building looks like it's still there, but it's not that frontage. Mm. I'm not sure if this was set to be demolished or that because most Hollywood explosions don't destroy any structure; it's just all petrol and flame and no devastation. But uh. Yeah, just uh, food for thought. Yeah, I had a thought and I went out my head now. <laughs> it's okay. There's this machine he's got in the background. I I don't know what it is because it looks like a till, but then he's got a till underneath. Yeah. Oh, that. yeah, I had, I had comments about this guy working at the oh, yeah. service station. It's just <laughs> like... How old is this guy? He's still a student. I would have thought he was the teacher, but I guess I don't know. This is no, and he's got an unfortunate receding hairline for mm. a uni student. But that could just be him pulling his hair out, uh, doing all this maths. Yeah, I, did I write down what he was actually doing? Oh yeah, uh, Euclidean geometry, which you know, fun, yeah. fun. Mm. Oh, so just quickly going to the commentary. This uh. Ed mocks that uh, this is based on Paul Verhoeven himself and, you know, his obsessiveness and, like, his, like... But apparently, um... Uh, this is actually something Paul used to do in high school. I'm sorry, mm. in university. He used that he would... He was studying maths. He didn't say what it was. He said he was, you know, he was doing mathematics and working at the same time. So he did kind of... I'm not sure if it was deliberately inject a lot of that into this, into this performance or not, but it's, I'm not sure if it was a deliberate reference, but yeah, he actually, uh, he actually felt like empathy towards this character from doing this. And <laughs> he really enjoyed, uh, the, he really identified with the work study dynamic. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, I like how Ed calls it confronting the brutal reality of the world. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've been thinking about that lately because I've been writing my, um, sentient car essay that i've been mentioning mm -hmm. for ages and uh you know it's getting there it's getting there. but it's getting there. you know delving into human imagination and emotions and so people bestow a lot of love into inanimate objects like cars mm. and then i had this realization i was as a writing it going i know for a fact my car is not alive i know it doesn't feel anything when i shower it with love and gifts and all of that <laughs> but it's not about that you know and the older i get the more i realize human psychology is not about stone cold logic it's about mm. working with the human brain machinery to its best advantage mm. so if i make my life a little bit better and i feel like i have more of a connection with this you know two-ton death machine that goes at uh, ungodly <laughs> speeds maybe that's a good thing well if we were beings of pure logic, we would be Vulcans, and... Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. I don't know. Uh, there's, there, even the Vulcans find the human condition fascinating. 
Fascinating. Yeah, clearly we got it going on. Um, by the way, uh, in the background, I was looking at the strip club and it just says sex girls. That's all it says. It's just at the end where he goes, don't do nothing stupid, man, then just the sex girls. But you kind of have to pause it when the light isn't completely blowing out the lens. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I can... yep, I can see it. And there's a Delta City ba um, banner in the background. Yep. Damn. I would love to see... Uh, maybe the animated shows did this, but uh, a Robocop where the where Delta City actually ended up being built. So I think like that, I think, say, Alpha Commando, but I think that's not necessarily them being in Delta City. I think that's just, you know, the artistic style, particularly mm. of that era and like that kind of... Well, in our Robocop remake slash sequel, uh, where Robocop <laughs> is brought back online after, like, 40 years, uh, mm. clearly that's going to be Delta City. I mean, where else would you, you set that, you know? Yeah. Of course, you know, have, let's have him fuck up Delta City. Yes. Mm. There was that time period where, like, especially animation, it was always, I think, of um, anything set in the future, even if it's like, like, say, like Batman Beyond, it's like only maybe 30 years at most. And, like, you know, everyone's got flying cars and stuff. Like, it, go, it really goes back to a lot of that kind of, like, almost like the 1950s idea, of, you know, post war ideas of the future, futurism and stuff like that, you know. Um, Metropolis and stuff like that. Batman's always been a bit weird on time frame. Yeah. The animated series is set in the 50s and Batman Beyond is set in the 2050s. Yeah. I'd love it if in Batman Beyond it still looked like Gotham. Just just ancient. Yeah. We were robbed of a future city retro bullshit. Yeah, it would have been more like Blade Runner, I'd imagine, where there's all this beautiful old... Uh, I think that's sort of Chicago architecture, a little mm. bit of Chinese stuff, and then you just put the neon mm. lights on top. I think that is such a, a bold aesthetic. I mean, it was mostly invented by Ridley Scott mm. in Blade Runner, which you can uh, hear me talk about on Nexus Minute whenever the hell I release that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating trying to track that aesthetic back and it sort of existed unintentionally, so Chinatown, mm. those things existed in the 80s, but I really do think it yeah. was really Scott who sort of took something from the natural environment, from just the the urban sprawl, and yeah, and utilised that as, as an aesthetic with a capital letter. Yeah, it's a, like, Blade Runner's aesthetic is, yeah, cap, uh, I was going to say capital D default, no, um, Capital D deliberate, you know, yes. it's one of those things where he's really making a statement about this world, and it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, it's futuristic, but it's so familial, and it's that thing where you can, you can literally imagine living and breathing in this world. I think that's why, uh, and Robocop as well, why these mm. science fiction stories are so timeless. We're watching them 40 years later, and they're still as impactful mm. because... They're grounded in reality. It's not showing you this Batman Beyond crazy future. <laughs> um, actually, even uh, Akira, uh, I think that for an animated, for an anime especially, they mm. are very subdued and restrained on how they depict future Tokyo, which is now present day Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has always been the folly of setting a movie somewhat close to the future. Yeah. But this is why Star Trek did it right. 23rd century, yep. We, we get there. <laughs> mm. And I... Don't worry about the details. I'm doing my greatest regen, regeneration uh, Instagram where I'm going through the 1980s in chronological order. 
And so often I look at old photos and just what people are wearing and stuff going, that's pretty modern. You know, I saw Cece Quattro just wearing jeans and a fairly modern looking leather jacket, um, mm. kind of teased up hair, but not, you know, 80s teased up. I just went, huh, yeah, like, people have a very particular idea of 1980s, but mm, everyone wasn't looking like friggin' Madonna. <laughs> But most people's 1980s, when they think 1980s, guys, the fashion was a bit more mid to late 80s, where mm. it's got kind of big elbow pads, teased hair, you know, flock of shoulder pads, all the shoulder pads. Yeah, sorry, whatever. No, nah, uh, elbow pads, man, that is so 2040. Just oh, you no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see gigantic elbow pads, like the like a college professor tweeted. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah shoulder pa- <laughs> the shoulder pads, like this kind of almost like resurgence of the, the zoot suit kind of, but it was mostly women's fashion. Mm. Um, uh, the neon and all that. I wonder that was a lot more the later 80s. Yeah, because pretty much from about the 40s or, or 50s onwards, everyone's just wearing jeans and t-shirts and we've just continued mm. to wear jeans and t-shirts so the fact that yeah. robocop just shows people wearing uniforms you would expect to see today they're wearing civilian mm. clothing you would basically expect to see today uh yeah, a lot of these characters could just walk down the street and you wouldn't look at them like oh you're yeah. a retired traveler well that's it it's there's nothing about robocop which is explicitly 80s except like you know some of the technology and so like that's just how society's moved like mm. you know we look we look at this dingy uh, petrol station and you know the, the logos and the icon iconography of like the advertising is yeah very set in the 80s that's just that's just production in regards to they're not gonna spend so much money remaking all that shit it's not like it's a star wars thing when everything has to be an urabesh and shit like that yeah, to quote Ernest Borgnine and Airwolf, they still dig holes with shovels. Yes, that's actually a really good observation. You know, it's uh, we get a sense that it's futuristic because of like the world, like Robocop himself, and like there's there's a bit of futurism in there. But this movie could realistically be set anywhere in the last hundred years. I mean, 100 years, like in a, as in like 50 years from now, 50 years oh, yeah, yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I rock, yeah. But um, yeah, unless <laughs> your world building very specifically says why these things are the way they are uh, in terms of technological change. So uh, yeah, I think Star Trek makes sense in terms of it is so far flung simply for the fact that the entire economic system and the technology mm. they have access to, the alien species they have access to, mm. it totally catapults every familiar aspect of humanity out the window. So mm. it gives them quite a, a beautiful, clean slate to work with. Whereas, yeah, something like Robocop, it does not make any sense for it to just be super slick and futuristic and all that stuff. Yeah. The irony, I think we've brought this up before, but the uh, the irony is that this movie has dated better than the remake, which yeah. is trying to be futuristic, but doesn't really work because it's almost a little bit too familial to modern day. But it's like modern day, but everyone's you know got holographic mobile phones, and but even the cars don't look. It is that no. a- Apple sort mm. of soullessness, and I think that's the main issue. And I mean, you know, I think 1980s movies just have this wonderful 
comforting quality to it. And I think it has a lot to do with just the cameras and, and the way things look and the way light plays off of them. But yeah, I, I think just in terms of color palette and all of that, there's something warmer and more familiar about mm. the original Robocop than the new one, which is just so bland. <laughs> well, that's probably a pretty good segue. Yeah. Have you got anything else to add? Uh, my only costume note was that Emil has a skull and crossbones lariat, and <laughs> yeah, I, am, I wrote that down too. <laughs> I am all for it. Oh, oh, and I would also like if the you know just to show you how uh, insane future Detroit is that the cashier you know so Emil's waving the gun around and the cashier you know, just barely reacts and he just pulls off his yeah. own gun like okay yeah what do you want to you want to try buddy you're like the third one tonight. Oh, I've got comment. I've got comments about the gun, uh, but that's more. We'll the wait next till minute. next. Okay, gaslighting Robocop. Alex, how do you feel? I feel fine, Doctor Norton. This minute begins with Black Robocop and ends with a Robo battle about to commence. Uh, my only comment is, they spend two point six billion on that well so yeah they are they say he looks like a billion dollars and then someone else trying to go 2.6 billion and then i was like how much would it cost to make a robocop and uh you know it's a lot of conjecture and stuff but the (laughs) article that i found to be the most useful was of all places looper um because they actually (laughs) used existing technologies as reference so they said okay cybernetic limbs mm -hmm, uh and uh this kind of sensory stuff and this kind of computing stuff and da 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 okay so ends up coming to 1.2 million dollars so yeah they got yeah (laughs) what the hell okay well even let's face it they're a robotics industry Mm. they don't need to prototype this they have this stuff there they're basically taking one of their robots and putting a brain in it. Yeah. They don't need to prototype the mechanical stuff. What they really need to do is really work on the human-machine integration. That's why you have Norton. They're essentially just badge-swapping that... a car. That's all it is. <laughs> yes! Even Norton already has this technology. It's just... It's a different scale. Yes, it's for me. Two billion? Yeah, I mean, no. are they are they even okay? So, oh, I know. Would they is. talk about the cost of R and D and the owning the and, and running <laughs> the Chinese facility? And are they incorporating everything into it? Or hmm. I just realised the point six billion is actually developing Robocop. The two billion was market research. Yeah. Oh, yeah. True. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Probably advertisements. I am assuming they have an ad campaign. Um, they they hired Ridley Scott to do the, <laughs> the commercials. It's a pretty big deal. Sadly, this is the um, Ridley Scott of. Uh, I was gonna say Dance with Balls. What the fuck the, is latest one? Uh, oh, I mean, may, may as well be fucking raised by wolves. Ooh. That's it. <laughs> Ooh, lotty. I was almost going to say walking with dinosaurs. No, I know it's something with three words. Mm. But yeah, it's just one of those things. As soon as I, I mean, I guess when I was by this stage when I was watching it the first time through, my brain was I was just kind of so checked out by this point, and this action scene did not check me back in. Mm. That just going by the minute by minute and just like, 
wow, wow, really? I just, at this wow. point, I feel like I am editing a high school student's first attempt uh, <laughs> at, at, at an essay or, or at a, a written like, oh, a, a yeah. fiction. And uh, yeah, I just sort of, I take pity. I'm like, oh, bless you, try it. Oh, oh, you think that's character development? Okay, okay. I'll just put oh some little God. red red lines under there and uh, all good. Yeah. This might, oh my, this might actually be a first past edit. That's why so, that's why the, the pacing is so fucking horrible. Mm. It's not tightly edited, it's fucking... Ah! Yeah, I don't know if there's some magical solution in the edit. I know some people have a real good eye for editing. Uh, Red Letter Media, there's a lot of times they're reviewing some terrible films, and they go, oh, the mm. solution is just in the editing. I mean, it's not going to mm. solve everything, but it's definitely going to fix those pacing issues. It's just the story was presented in the wrong order. Yeah, I think there's a lot of moments in this movie that just drag on. Mm. And that's definitely something you can do. That's why drag I said that's an editing Drag on balls problem. Z. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot of balls. Yeah, drag on there, all my there balls. Are... <laughs> editing can only get you so far. It's Very true. Again, it's that thing where it's... It's a jigsaw puzzle, but if you've been given a jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces are straight edge, like rubber flag, you can't really add the knobbly bits together to make a whole piece. Mm. That's a really bad analogy, but I'm working on the fly. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I get you. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those things where, you know, you only, an editor can only do so much with the footage they're presented, but then, say, for example, the director can only do so much with the script they've been presented and blah, blah, blah. So it's one of those things where it's... It's always a process, but you can just see movies like this where you're going, the script isn't doesn't isn't seem to be doing much. The directing's not even punching up what is there, and a lot of the editing is really flat. There's a lot of just things where it's just like even the coverage or anything is just not doing anything. It's, yeah, it's just there's a lot going wrong, but it's not bad enough to be like you know, well, it's not bad enough to be entertaining. Mm. It's just it's just land drink for those who are following along with the 60 seconds uh drinking game who drink whenever i say the word fucking bland mm. <sighs> uh do i have any no no that was basically it. there's nothing there's nothing in this minute there there really isn't i mean keaton's doing his best gary oldman's in the background and just kind of there because he has to be flags flag Although I will give him props, I've actually finally seen a, uh, a Joel Kinnaman role where he actually has a personality. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, so what's he like in uh, the, Suic the Suicide Squad? Yeah. Wow, someone actually gave him a character. That's good, yeah. I mean, I, I quite liked him as uh, Takeshi Kovac. Kovac? Kovac? Yeah, uh, in. Uh, oh, God. Alter Carbon, uh, yeah. And. When they replaced it, I like Anthony Mackie and all, which went, oh, mm. no, actually, yeah, I got used to Rick Flag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think of Anthony Mackie doing a Rick Flag impersonation. It's like, like those moments in, like, with, with uh, Falcon where he's just, like, you know, on the ball, dead straight, no no human, no character whatsoever. Mm. I'm just imagining that for an entire series. Um, so I think that's just about everything. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, so where can the lovely viewers find you? Find me at TravianDesigns.com, T-R-A-V-A-A-N, 
And you can find me under Courtney Colson on YouTube. I couldn't think of a more interesting name than my own name. Uh, <laughs> makes it easy to find. But uh, yeah, I talk about my experience detransitioning. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I don't use my real name for reasons. Not bad reasons, just reasons. Uh, but you can find me on Fandom. Witness Protection Program. Yeah, I'm not supposed to advertise that. <laughs> No, there's actually a, a more famous Simon Haynes out there, so... Son shit. of a bitch. Bastard! Uh, <laughs> I don't know the guy. I don't know if he's a bastard or not. Anyway, uh, yeah, so find me on Fandom Crossings and Helios Photos, you know, YouTubes, Facebooks, just all that type of shit there. But more importantly, you can find us on Spotify, Simplecast, Google, uh, what's the other one? Apple, all your favourite podcasting uh, things, if we're not on one, let us know. We'll try and add it. And also, YouTubes. Yo, yeah, I actually still upload this to YouTube. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, go go like, share, subscribe, do all those. It ensures that when the apocalypse happens, the last service <laughs> to go down will be the YouTube ones. So we will be around forever. And yes, of course. So we want to have a good testament to our robot of laws that we've been speaking kindly to them all these past uh, 49 minutes. Mm -hmm. Sorry, 48. That was an, uh, that was an uh, apparition. No, no, please don't. Please don't. No. Anyway, and so until next time... You've got the touch. Da, 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 da. You've got the Robocop. Yeah! <laughs> da, da. <laughs> oh shit, what are we gonna do now? <laughs>